0: This is Mike Munger, the knower of important things, from Duke University. This week, back to lettuce and adverse selection, which is a problem of triangulation. My work in a lumberyard, where transaction costs matter a lot, illustrating ways to price discriminate. Also, twedge and this week's letter. Straight out of Creedmoor, this is Tidy C. I thought they'd talk about a system where there were no transaction costs, but it's an imaginary system. There always are transaction costs. When it is costly to transact, institutions matter. And it is costly to transact. Last week's letter was from B. Your discussion of how lettuce is sold struck a nerve with me. Lettuce prices have gone up over the past year and paying for it by the head makes no sense. The size and weight of romaine heads vary widely. Why should I pay the same amount for a one pound or a two pound head of lettuce. The two pound head will yield twice the number of servings. So I spend extra time looking for the heavier heads, which are a much better value. Now, many fruits and vegetables of similar cost are sold by weight, not by the unit. It takes only a few seconds to weigh produce. The scale is built into the cash register. At one market I go to, green peppers are sold by the unit, but pasilla peppers are sold by the pound. At another market, both are sold by the pound. If I go to the market and all they have are very small heads of romaine lettuce for $3 each, I'll just buy something else. Instead of paying 3 or more times what I would pay most weeks. There's likely to be a transaction cost for the market in throwing away small heads that no one buys because they're so expensive. Selling lettuce by the head seems to be an outdated practice that is no longer relevant. Seems to me it actually raises transaction costs given today's technology. What am I missing? End of letter. Well, thanks B. There's so many issues here. I used to work in a lumber yard. A wholesale place in florida we would unload boxcars of beams planks and boards now there's some differences in terminology but beams usually are four buys that is four by six four by eight or more six by ten planks are two buys two by six two by ten and boards are one buys a one by six a one by ten there's generally two ways you can buy lumber by the bundle or by the piece Now, there are clearly economies of scale in handling things by the bundle because the wood is strapped together with steel straps. But the big difference in price is quality. Wood is actually not homogeneous. If you go to a home supply store like Lowe's or Home Depot, they have bundles that are broken. Because consumers would prefer to buy by the piece instead of by the bundle. Some of that is because bundle is such a large quantity of lumber. But even if someone wanted a large quantity, they might want to buy it by the piece so that they could sort through to make sure that they were getting the best boards. Because like I said, lumber varies in quality. Let's talk about 2x4s. Now, if you've ever actually measured, you know that 2x4s are 1.5 inch by 3.5 inch. They're not really 2x4s. The 2x4 measurement is rough sawn wood before it's planed and smooth. So if you get to pick through what they call 2x4s at the Home Depot, you'll see that some of them have knots, which are weaknesses, or blemishes, or big chunks taken out along the edge. If you buy a bundle, you'll get a mix of clean smooth boards and rougher ones, some of which are going to be unusable. If you buy by the piece, you'll only choose the clean smooth boards with no blemishes and no knot holes. Well, every once in a while, the 2x4s are so picked through that the Home Depot will have a forklift come out, remove all of their remaining unusable boards, which are unsellable, and put in a new bundle. Break that bundle by cutting the strap, and the picking over process starts again. Why do that? Why not only sell the good boards in the first place? The answer is that by putting out a bundle without thinking much about quality, the store is imposing the cost of search and sorting on the customer, and... They can charge a higher price, knowing that people will be willing to pay it to get better quality. Now, the alternative is for the store to do all the sorting in advance. But some people are willing to take just whatever is on top. They don't notice or care about the imperfections. Rather than having the average quality be high with low variance, retail lumber stores buy big variance bundles wholesale and then let the customers do the sorting. And customers will actually pay more for the privilege of being able to sort. Sure, the retail store ends up throwing some of the lumber out, but they make more money this way than if they threw out all of the unsalable wood in advance. And as we'll see in a minute, putting out bundles and letting people sort is a kind of price discrimination, an implicit coupon. Beams, unlike boards and planks, are always, as far as I know, sold by the piece. For one thing, they're huge and expensive. The biggest one we sold was a six by 10. <laughs> you would A new guy, we would see a new guy uh come in and there would be 6x10s that were 16 feet long, we'd tell him to go pick up one end and we'd get the other one and of course he couldn't remotely move it. Even one 6x10 is going to take a forklift to move it around. Now beams that have knots or other weaknesses are just not usable. They're sorted in advance. They're so heavy it's not worth paying to ship them in the first place. So the producer sorts beams at the mill. Bad beams don't even get planed in the first place. Well, what does this have to do with lettuce? Wood doesn't get sold by the pound after all. The point is, just as... As Joram Barzell always said, when it comes to transaction cost, you can't separate the use and measurement of the product from the product itself. It's all of a piece. In this case, a piece of lumber, or lettuce. For wood, it's cheaper to buy a bundle of 2x4s, just like it's cheaper to buy a package of three heads of romaine lettuce, or a package of potatoes, without looking at it much. We sell strawberries, asparagus, carrots, many other vegetables by the bundle. People buy a bag or a bundle knowing that some of them may be unusable. But for beams, for heirloom tomatoes, butternut squash, organic cabbage meat. The price is by the pound. Those things are large, heavy, and expensive. We don't use very many at once. Plus, you want each one that you buy to be usable, so you pick through them. In the case of lumber, you're doing the sorting for the seller. The seller knows that he or she is going to throw some away, but that's okay because the price is higher by the piece and they're imposing the cost of sorting on you. There's the answer to B's question. Romaine lettuce is more like a two-by-four than it is a bean. You have big piles of them. Some are damaged or small and the store just lets the customer do the sorting based on both size and freshness in the case of lettuce. But that actually doesn't answer B's central question. Given that it's now easy to weigh produce at the checkout stand, why do they sell lettuce or anything actually by the piece? Romaine is often sold by the package of three. But the weight of those packages still differ. For potatoes, a bag is 5 pounds or 10 pounds, so the analogy to lumber works better. Those romaine packages, or packages of three sweet peppers, differ by weight, and so they get picked over and the ones that are left won't be sold. Romaine remains can really be a pain, and the store has to throw them away. Sorry, I was restyling there for a minute. But remember, the store is not trying to minimize food waste. They're trying to maximize profits. There's a big difference. If you can charge a higher price because people can select the best romaine heads and you're likely to throw away many of the heads anyway because of freshness, unlike with lumber which lasts for years at least indoors, with lettuce freshness matters. You're going to throw some of these away anyway. If people wanted to buy lettuce by the pound, stores would sell it that way. Some stores do, but not all. To understand the reason, let's go back to the question of price discrimination, and coupons from a previous episode. There are people who will search through the romaine heads. They'll look for the biggest one if you sell by the piece. Those are the same folks who are coupon shoppers, people who will pay time for a lower price. Though here, the lower price is the price per pound. That was complicated, so let me say it again. If you sell by the pound, everybody pays the same price per pound. If you sell by the head, then the price per pound differs, but only if you go to the trouble of sorting through the lettuce. Not everyone does that. So the price-responsive folks get a better deal and buy more lettuce just as if they had a coupon. Some people just pick what's on top. The same is true for lumber sales. The people who sort get a better deal, paying time for a lower price or higher quality. The store doesn't have to pay to sort by quality because the consumer does the sorting for the store and the consumer will pay more for the privilege. Even better, the store sells more lumber and more lettuce this way because charging by the unit sells some of the smaller heads or naughtier two-by-fours to people who don't care much about price or quality. They'll just take whatever is on top. The answer, as usual, is transaction costs. Whoa, that sound means it's time for twedge. This week's economics joke is about Prime Minister Clement Attlee of the UK and former Prime Minister Winston Churchill. They were long-time antagonists. In the early 1950s, Great Britain was moving in a sharply socialist direction, expanding state-owned enterprises and nationalizing a lot of industries. Well, apparently after a meeting, Attlee had gone into the men's room and was standing at a urinal over at one side. Churchill comes in, sees Attlee, and then moves to a urinal that's at least 10 spots away. Now, Atley had a kind of patrician, high, reedy voice, and supposedly Atlas said, "'Ah, Winnie! Feeling a bit standoffish, are we?' Churchill immediately responded, "'No, Attlee, it's just that whenever you see something large and in private hands, you want to nationalize it.'" Now, I have to note, I always say that the twedge is not funny. That's clearly wrong, at least in this case, because that joke is hilarious. It also connects, though, to our discussion of public goods and to excludability. So the the idea that the line between what the public should be providing and what can be provided privately is a matter of transaction cost is one of the core theses of this podcast. This week's letter is from S., I've enjoyed the new show so far, but what has intrigued me most is the positive value of transaction costs. It got me thinking about church. I'm a pastor and theologian, so that was inevitable. There are some transaction costs that are stupid and detrimental to church life. An obvious one is lack of parking or a web presence that's badly maintained or even non-existent. It takes so much trouble for people to visit a church for the first time anyway that these things will put them off entirely. Well, that's at one extreme. At the other extreme is transaction costs that are vetting for some someone who can be brainwashed, a kind of selection. Cults use this tactic. It is precisely by having extraordinarily high transaction costs that they locate exactly the kind of people that they want. It's also why it's so hard to reason with the culturally brainwashed with the argument that it's unreasonable to sacrifice so much for the cult. Because the high transaction cost is actually what they want. That's how they were selected. A lot of churches put out an all or welcome sign thinking that this will reduce the emotional or social transaction cost of getting people through the door. I suspect it does the opposite. Because it sounds a bit desperate, like begging for a date. I'll date anyone. It's a well-meaning but misapplied expression of the Christian principles of universality and grace. Within the life of the congregation, there are normally very high transaction costs to becoming clergy. In my Lutheran tradition, you need a bachelor's degree of some kind, a Master of Divinity and a vetting process that lasts several years, including psychological exams and a year-long practicum under an ordained pastor. This makes sense. You want to make it difficult to achieve religious power over others. Well, what about congregation members? In practice, there's a lot of variety. In my congregation, we try to minimize the transaction cost of joining for Sunday morning worship. You don't have to be baptized, don't have to believe, to attend a service. On the other hand, to become a member of the congregation, there are a few imposed transaction costs because it shouldn't be too easy to gain access to votes, to budgets, a seat on the church council, and decision making. There has to be some clearly established common ground of belief and ethics. Otherwise, our common life would devolve into constant battles, and any church person will tell you that battles are common enough as it is. In my sitting, I usually wait till the person has been attending worship regularly for at least a year before raising the issue of membership. And Then we spend six sessions reviewing Luther's small catechism. The transaction cost of becoming a member of this Lutheran congregation is nowhere near as high as becoming a pastor of the congregation. But the willingness to pay the respective transaction cost is, in general, a good number measure of commitment. My guess is that a lot of churches seesaw back and forth between transactions costs that are too high or too low, trying to figure out how to create the right incentives that are still in alignment with our core beliefs. I've often thought that a better grasp of economic concepts would benefit pastors and theologians. And this email is my own proof. All the best. S. End of letter. Well, that's terrific. Thanks for listening. We'll work on that puzzle, have another hilarious twedge, and more next week on Tidy C.